Here we are. It's our place. And it's yours too. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Underrated Podcast. This is a film podcast. We talk about the movies that are underrated, underappreciated, and the ones that have slipped under the radar and passed most people by. I am one of your hosts, Derek McDuff, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Ariel Ortiz. Hi. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Billy Ray Bruton. How's it going, Billy Ray? Uh, it's going swell up here in Seattle. How are things in your neck of the woods? They're, they're pretty good here. <laughs> yeah, pretty rainy, but very, very nice here down in, in Southern California. My old home. My old home. Yeah, but thing, things are nice here. Uh, Billy Ray, of course, for anyone who isn't familiar, is the host of the Incinerator podcast. Does a lot of other things, screen draft, legend, uh, uh, all kinds of good stuff. But uh, Billy Ray, as is the tradition here for our guests, chose our film we'll be talking about today, which is the 2004 film A Home at the End of the World, directed by uh, Michael Mayer and based on and the screenplay, which is uh, based on his own novel uh, by Michael Cunningham. Uh, I said that weird, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> but Billy Ray, I, I didn't know much about this. You know, I had maybe seen a poster before with Colin Farrell. It looked vaguely familiar. Didn't know much about it. But yeah, this was your pick. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this movie and maybe your history with it and why you chose it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, Home at the End of the World. Um, I'm a big fan of Michael Cunningham as a writer in general. Uh, for folks who don't know, he also wrote The Hours, which was also turned into a film around this time as well and um you know i when the book when when the film came out i was already familiar with cunningham's work i was familiar with the book and i don't know it it came out at this time in colin farrell's career where i don't know if y'all know if if y'all but like actors these young hot actors especially international actors when they first become really big in the states they will start doing a thousand films a year. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's like Hollywood is like, we are going to make this person a star. However the hell we get to do it. Jude Law suffered the same thing to a degree, which I think actually really hurt his career because he had a ton of films come out. They weren't all bangers. And the same thing was happening with Colin Farrell. So I wasn't particularly excited when I was hearing about Colin Farrell popping up in things, even though at the time... As a young gay guy, I was, how to say this, in love with Colin (laughs) Farrell. And um, still am. And um, so this film just kind of came out of nowhere for me to a degree. Uh, Like like I said, I was familiar with it, but I I didn't even have any, you you know, cognizance that it was even being turned into a film. And um, it's one that I've always championed over the years because I feel like it gets left behind not only as a Colin Farrell film, but it also gets left behind as sort of a queer romance or a queer film. And this is one of the only films that I can think of as a queer person that really does speak in earnest to the polyamory side of queerness and speaks to the the chosen family side of queerness in a way films around that time really weren't concentrated on and so it's 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 got a soft spot in my heart for those reasons and also i just think it's a really fun sweet good movie and so i'm always happy to proselytize for it Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely feel with you about it being like forgotten or left behind as a a queer movie because even the synopsis of it kind of and and even the poster kind of doesn't really show that or you know or even mention it because the synopsis essentially is like a love triangle and they don't really say which way that love triangle spins so so yeah so it was very like like i went in you know blind essentially with it and it was very much like once the moment happens in their childhood i'm i should i i will say when they're teenagers i was like oh it's going to be this kind of triangle okay (laughs) so kind of like from that moment you kind of go on forth and yeah it is very much a very subtle love story in my opinion i mean you get these different characters that 
you know, some are sure about themselves, others are unsure or or like just um I cuz I get that sense with with Colin Farrell's character of he's just kind of like an unsure guy doesn't have much experience with anything, but he's his main thing because of all the trauma in his life, he just knows that he doesn't want to be alone. Um, but I, I feel for him like very much like he might be either n- not to put labels on him, but, you know, bisexual or, or even pansexual in a way, yeah. because he just like you get that feeling of like he just loves everybody and everyone kind of thing. Um, yeah. e- even the vibes coming off of him and the mob were kind of like kind of yeah. getting there, yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, there, okay. are there are moments there are moments Colin Farrell and Sissy Spacek about to get it on. Yeah. I know, yeah, for me too, yeah, I don't know, I mean, like, yeah, it, it's, it, even, like, his, de- when he says I love you to her, after um, the father dies, you kind of get that sense of, like, oh, is he, like, really get, proclaiming, like, tr- real love and stuff, but I think it's just, he just loves everybody and everyone, Um, and that's, in a sense, he kind of reminded me, like, thinking on the movie itself and his character, he kind of reminded me of Charlie in, um, perks of being a wallflower but in the yeah, kind of opposite yeah. way where you know there's a moment of that in that movie where he kind of just doesn't know what he's doing but then he ends up ends up with um i can't remember her name but ends up with you know yeah. his main love interest in the end too so yeah so you kind of get that sense and i was very surprised that yeah like i i would have thought that the friend would I I was very surprised that like I thought he was like push away, you know his queerness like going forward into the in the you know in the adulthood. So it was very interesting, yeah, yeah to see like oh no he he actually did embrace his queerness and then yeah this whole polyamorous kind of thing happening and then and then just it just speaks like a a real life kind of situ- situation and just a scenario of like people's feelings changing and stuff like that because i feel very much like at the beginning of of the threes the thruples like relationship i can't remember names i'm so sorry <laughs> but um well jonathan is the jonathan, dallas roberts yeah. character and claire claire is the robin there Wright thank you yeah. yeah robin Wright. um claire claire's character was kind of like open to that and that's what she kind of actually wanted but once they're they're her and um Colin Farrell's character's daughter kind of came and she became a mother. She started to feel like she wanted something different and like she went back how her conversation with with the mom was like, I kind of wanted, I when I was a kid, I did want that like kind of normal, she says, family dynamic. And I think that in that moment, you see that kind of turn on her of like, oh, she, that is actually what she wants. And so it is understandable like she moves on and like lets both of them go in a way and it, it is very heartbreaking at the end you with jonathan clearly like has markings of of the development of aids and you kind of feel sad that that this love was like kind of short-lived and and it's going to be that way you know you don't know where but in the sense also like it like i said it's very subtle movie because in a sense, also, you kind of get that sense, maybe in that moment, that Colin Farrell's character is okay with being alone, it, like, in that way. For the first time. For the first you know? time, yeah. Yeah, kind of, yeah. because he did finally figure out who he really did love this whole time. And so, so yeah, it's it's very heartbreaking of an ending. Um, yeah. But it is very, it, it takes you on this very easy in the end you kind of see it like oh it's like a very natural journey um very short pretty short of a movie i think like maybe about yeah yeah Yeah, exactly so it was a really nice yeah um story and once you kind of get the sense of like the direction that Colin, like it's you follow Colin Farrell. Like I, I get that feeling of like you. He's an unsure character throughout the majority of the time, but then he solidifies in his trajectory of his life in a way because he has some kind of like arrested development a bit, and so you kind of mm-hmm. get once he becomes more sure of the person that he is. This I feel like the story kind of solidifies itself as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 I think that's fair, and I think to me this film has always been. The first act is Colin Farrell 
basically everything he thought he needed in life to survive slowly gets peeled away from him. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. you have the second half where he starts rebuilding that back. And then you have the third act, which is basically showing him the things he actually needs to survive. And, and yeah, I think, I think he's the, he's the fascinating part about this film to me. There are multiple fascinating parts, but his is the big one because he is such sort of a blank slate mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. He, he's the character that all the other characters can kind of assign their desires and, and all of these things on him. But the Robin Wright character, the, the older I get and the more I rewatch this film becomes the more fascinating character to me. Because I really do feel like she has the most difficult choices to make in this film. Mm -hmm. And and I remember when I first saw this film, I, I watched it thinking, you know, the decision that she makes at the end being all like, oh, what a selfish decision and blah, blah, blah. But now that I'm older and I can look through it through different lenses, it's like, OK, she made the right decision for her mm -hmm. and for and for her kid. And that's what I like about this film is like there aren't many films because, you know, I'm reaching the point now I'm about to turn 41. And I've reached the point over the last two or three years where I start seeing all of these things that if you would have asked me 10 years ago and I would be like, oh, I want this and I want this. I'll never do this. I'll never do this. I can't think of one of those things that still holds any water. Like the older I get, the more those priorities change. And it's so nice to see a film where you can on screen see the priority of the characters change from beginning to end. And I, I don't get to see that a lot. So, yeah, yeah no, like, yeah, th this, you know, I. I'm always a little bit nervous. I'm always excited to have guests on, but I always and and have them make their pick. But I know, but I know what Ariel and and my other co-host Alan are going to give me. Whenever I have a, a you know a new introduce some some a new entity, you're always like, all right, what's this one going to be? And especially when it's a film like this, I know nothing about. So always going in with a little bit of trepidation. But that was very very quickly erased. I was so enthralled by this movie almost instantly just it the vibes of it even when it starts you start to see his kind of like early childhood and just all the things that these kind of really traumatic events that showed why he just feels like he always needs someone and then especially once it jumps ahead to his 20s his early 20s when he is really like so many of us are at that age, just trying to figure out who he is and what his identity is. And like, he, they don't really throw out labels with him, but him trying to figure out like what he, who he is and who he should love and his relationships with these people. And, you know, like you guys already mentioned, like it, with the uh, Sissy Spacek character, he's like, this is a figure who is a mother figure, but there's clearly that attraction that he has to her there. And he has all these really conflicted emotion emotions towards her and then towards Jonathan he's someone who is both a lover and a brother to him and they have all that and and that's all stuff that I really related to just in my 20s trying to figure myself out and who I am and and what I I what I mean and, and like and what what my life means and stuff and all of that just really really spoke to me and and deeply affected me and the more it got into the film, the more I was feeling it, especially once Robin Wright's character got introduced, who I didn't know she was in this. And as soon as she showed up, I was like, oh my God, she's one of my absolute favorite actresses. So that was like an extra surprise. That happened, and then you had the Colin Farrell glow-up happening. I was like, man, yeah. this guy, yeah. th that, that <laughs> yeah. is an all-time glow-up when he cuts his long hair, and I'm just like... Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, oh, no, it's Woo. the classic Colin Farrell look. That's why it's like they oh, had to yeah. get to that. Like He kept that look for like a decade. You know? yeah. and, and also, let's just be clear, if you're going to if you have to cast somebody in a film who is supposed to be like the perfect guy that all the guys want and the girls want and the moms want, how do you do any better than Colin Farrell circa 2004? Mm -hmm. Like, dude was just like on another level of gorgeous. And mm -hmm. I don't know that anybody has caught up with yet. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, no one ever will. Which is like so sidebar, real fast. You know, people always like to say that the Brad Pitt thing about him being a character actor who's just too too pretty. I think that applies so much to Colin Farrell, and you know that's why he got shoehorned into movies like Alexander and Phone Booth and stuff like that, where he is yeah. trying to they're trying to make him this dramatic leading man. And I think he's so much more interesting in a film like this or even something like a Minority Report where he's like an interesting, quirky, supporting character or weird lead. And that's why I think like this past year, when he got to be these four interesting characters, like Banshees of Nishara and After Yang and, and all these 
great movies that he was in in 2022, you're, you're really getting to see Colin Farrell finally get to play some of these juicy roles that he got to play early in his career before he became such a huge thing. But to go a little bit more on the like, wow, this guy's so handsome, that, that mo- you wouldn't expect him really to be a virgin, especially like him like seeing, you know, being introduced to sex at a very early age with that scene with his brother, but that clearly messed him up and stunted it in some way. And that scene when when he loses his virginity to Robin Wright and he just starts crying, that hit me so hard. I was like, that is so emotional. Like when you he has this intense, tender moment that and like a lot of times in movies, like you see in a movie that I love, The Notebook, like when they lose their virginity, it's like this beautiful, nice moment and and then in the reality, it's like when you have a moment like that with somebody, it's not always like butterflies and stuff. It might be special, but you're you're having all these really conflicted emotions. And he, just the way his performance sells it, it so much, it, it really it really hit me. The way all three of them have this really interesting, complicated relationship is something else I really related to. You know, I'm like I said, like I I always have. I I was always, you know, kind of questioning things about myself. And ultimately, you know, despite TikTok thinking I'm a lesbian, I'm a straight guy. But nevertheless, I still have dated a lot of queer people. And, you know, me, I'll be, you know, I'll, you'll end up in weird situations. I'm always kind of the, the, uh, the, the, what do you, like a, the cute gamer or the, like the, the, the boy with the golden retriever energy who ends up dating a bisexual girl. And then I get in these, I'm like the Robin Wright character where you're in these weird situations where it's like, Oh, me and my ex-girlfriend. And then we all both have a crush on the same girl. So I, I related to, to all of that stuff. And those, these weird situations of queerness and stuff like, you know, that, that, that how, like you said, Billy Ray, how weird and messy and things like that can be where relationships and things like that are so, muddily defined and just you're trying to figure out who anybody is to at any point I thought was really well done in this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's great to hear you that y'all enjoyed it so much because, but you know, I'm glad that just anybody's getting extra eyes on it. I do want to mention too, it opens with one of the most insane like shocking death sequences. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which um, is like it, it sadly at that time and it is was like a real it, thing. Yeah, it was a real thing. It's and like for us growing in the nineties became like the tale like the wise tales of like be careful and stuff like that. Now nowadays, you know, you have thick ass glass and stuff like that or like polycarbon essentially, whatever. Um yeah. but yeah, but those like moments like where like because when it happened, I was like, I had to remind myself of like, oh yeah, those that happened back then. You know, yeah. they were so thin and and like the glass. And I was just like, yeah, you get that heartbrokenness too from it because you yeah. felt like the the brother was such a influential person to him. Like, uh, I don't agree with him giving him like what like paint to 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 taste and stuff like that gave oh, yeah, yeah. psychedelics but it was a different it was, it a, was different a different time i guess the sense like, that, that that whole family was like that though like uh, yeah but um, yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah but it was a different time know, for folks who don't know what we're talking about at, at the beginning of the film there's a character who is running back towards a party they've all been drinking and doing psychedelics and stuff and he doesn't realize that the sliding glass door is closed and he plows through the sliding glass door. And at first you don't know. At first you're like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then you don't know if it's serious or not. And then the moment they pull that enormous shard of glass out of his throat, you're like, OK, this shit's for real. <laughs> and 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 there's still like a few minutes where you're like, wait, did that just happen? Like, is this a real thing that just happened in this movie? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was a thing that happened back then. And you can see why. I mean, our thing, we had a sliding glass door when I was a kid, but it was always my mom would want there to be, uh, my mom would never clean the door too much because she wanted there to be smudges for the birds mm-hmm. in case a bird was flying in. She didn't want it to smack into it. In hindsight, it probably saved her children's lives too. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that 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 kind of sets the movie off with this really high tempo just right off the get go. And there's some beautiful, I also want to, I want to mention just, you know, Michael Mayer who directed this film, who is one of my absolute all time favorite stage directors. 
directed the original production of Spring Awakening and As American a- Idiot. And like an incredible amount of like amazing Broadway shows that he's directed hmm. and directed some other films and stuff too. But um, he's got such a, a penchant for music and the right music at the right time. And, and the soundtrack to this film mm-hmm. is phenomenal. And I think specifically about, um, for me, like there's a great there's a great scene where they're riding in the truck singing "Look Out Cleveland" by the band. That amazing Yaz song, which this film turned me on to Yaz, uh, which plays when Colin Farrell first arrives in the city, and then of course you got the Laura Neo Nero sequence with him and Sissy Spacek, which is just beautiful. It's just it, the mu- the music here and the scores by Duncan Sheik. It yep. all just works yep. together so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For speaking of that, because I was very surprised, like when I saw Duncan Sheik's name there, and I was like, "This kind of makes sense," because it, it does give you kind of like the sense of like a a Spring Awakening kind of thing, like Spring Awakening. Yeah, and it it makes sense, yeah, with it being directed by the same guy too, because because there's just such kind of like a insight to this kind of like sexuality and stuff, and Spring Awakening explicitly is about you know sexuality of t- of teenagers and stuff. So it it I could definitely see that, and that's why I was like, oh, that like it just clicked that that makes sense. And then you furthering it, saying like, oh no, it's also directed by by the one that that um did Spring Awakening, and also it, elements of yeah, like American Idiot kind of like play into that too. Um, but yeah, yeah it definitely makes sense. Like and kind of yeah, yeah. They it just it's just very you know as a period piece, it's really thought out in a. It, it doesn't beat you over the head over the head mm-hmm. with the fact that it's a period piece. It's like it's just it's subtle in the way it kind of lets you know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just I, yeah, I just think it's a sweet, lovely, you know, wonderful little film. Like it, it, it's hard to like. Is it is it gonna like? Is it like the best made film you're ever gonna see? No. Is it the best shot film you're ever gonna see? No. But it's like everything works really well. Everybody in the cast is putting so much into it, even the supporting characters who are fantastic as well. And it has that ability. And like you you spoke to this earlier, Derek, it has that ability to really sneak up on you as as like as like an emotional experience. And for a 96 movie, 96 minute movie with like, I don't know. I just think I think it's kind of an accomplishment that it kind of hits you the way it does with what it's packing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And to me, it it felt honestly so ahead of its time because even though at the time I I felt like you know there are a lot of films that you know touch on you know people who are gay and things like that. Especially this was around the time when people, they were addressing like the AIDS epidemic that was going on in the eighties and on all that stuff. But it it this film really feels like it was so ahead of its time in dealing with just the complexities of sexuality and just how it's it's such a spectrum and it's not just like oh you're gay you're straight yeah. you know it, it's yeah. that around the you know at the same time you're having like will and grace be like bisexuality isn't a thing and and this really yeah. felt like wow no like we get it now we understand that there are like you were saying ariel bisexual people pansexual people people who identify as non-binary like any 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 number of thing and just colin farrell especially just feels like someone who is a character that is feels like he was written in 20 his character feels like he was written in 2023 about how he is just this they never even label him in the movie and he's just trying to figure it out and he's just trying to understand himself and how he feels and how he should feel and there's there's this tension between the three of them because it's like oh i was in love with you and you were in love with me but maybe they're more in love with you and and i thought you were this and i thought you were that and the way it all does that it's so subtly done and i think with you know, like you were saying, Billy, it's not like an incredibly shot movie. You know, this isn't Decision to Leave or something like that, where you're like marveling at how it looks. But the script is so good, and the acting is so incredible and so real. And you do still get really great cinematic moments, like when they're looking over the Grand Canyon was one that oh, yeah. really spoke to me. And yeah, just that's why I felt like it was so powerful. I would have to like just disagree on like I I feel like this like Mark and the whole like that notion of like 
oh is ahead of its time and stuff like that i think it's it was actually very much of its time and that's the whole point i think just people nowadays don't really have just finally caught on to kind of like this kind of notion of life um in the mainstream but i mean even right when this movie was made like we've mentioned like things existed but you had to go and search them out you know at this point by by now jonathan larson had already written not just you know rent but also tick tick boom you had that in the in in the pop culture notion and it's it's and then also other kind of movies of that time you know kind of touched on that but but i didn't joy yeah just the subtlety even of of that of and like i said like it feeling very much like a real life story because you don't have to like go full-on blown like like um oh this aids pandemic and just the kind of yeah the subtlety of it being told and stuff like that so i think it it it, i guess in that sense ahead of its time where you don't really have to like say it out loud like what the's going on with with Jonathan, and then it's just kind of like it it flow like you said kind of flows together and stuff, so yeah, yeah, and two thousand four is an interesting thing too because two thousand four is actually because another film that kind of deals with bisexuality or or like labelless sort of existences that came out the same year was Kinsey. Uh, with Liam Neeson, who is also a bisexual character. <laughs> and they, it, that's actually a big point of that film. And it did film. I, 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 I definitely agree with you on, on, on this, on this front in that aerial that like, there are definitely films out there, you know, as you know, I've been programming queer films since almost since this movie came out. And like, there are so many great films like this out there you just can't find them anywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can now a lot better than you could then, because obviously Hulu has an amazing queer section and a lot of streamers, you know, you can find some of these lost films. And I always encourage people to, because for every, and this is hardly mainstream. Like, I mean, it's mainstream in the extent that it's got high profile cast, Mm -hmm. but it was a, you know, 1.5, I think, or no, maybe it was, no, it was more than that is a few million dollars Mm -hmm. uh, budget, but still not huge. And like, for every one of these, there's like 20 other hidden gems from the same time period that, that, you know, that feature, you know, all these different types of sexualities, which we just didn't get to see, you know, in the mainstream sense back then. We were starting to like for all the good things Will and Grace did, it did just as many bad things. Mm-hmm. And that you just mentioned one earlier, which is the whole bisexuality doesn't exist, which is like so for all the good things it did, it did an equal amount of bad things. And but it did. We did start seeing kind of a especially in the early 2000s, we started to slowly see a more creeping acceptance of queerness in the mainstream. And when I say slow, I mean to the point where, like, even now in 2023, we're still creeping. Yeah. <laughs> we're still creeping. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah, we got bros this year. We got spoiler alert. So the white gay guys are doing great. <laughs> but everybody else, that's just Hollywood's like, fuck you. Yeah, and I think that that's why, you know, like I said, it, it really hit me because I was, you know, I'm somebody who's kind of existed just on, you know, I don't want to like try and like claim anything that I like take anything away from anyone, but like I've always just kind of been on the fringes, you know, of, of sure. queerness and just to see a movie that like kind of was like, okay, like, you know, there, there, it's just not like a Will and Grace where it's just like, oh, there is no such thing as in between. You're either this or you're that. Yeah. It, it felt it felt really interesting and, and it did speak to me in a lot of ways. Um, and I and I think that's that's really cool, you know. Yeah, it's funny. So I my day job is I I run a, a pretty large queer nonprofit here in uh, Seattle called Three Dollar Bill Cinema, and we do uh, Seattle Queer Film Festival and Translations, which is our trans film festival. And so we do a lot of cool stuff for all different for the diaspora of the queer community. And we were discussing, we do an outdoor screening series, and one of the films we were talking about, uh, sort of as a group, and it's a pretty diverse group, was uh, whether or not to screen Home at the End of the World. And because we were wanting Mm -hmm. to screen, you know, something that was, uh, that could appeal to different communities, but also something that was not as dour as some of the other films. And so it ended up getting shot down because uh, the, the majority of the group thought it was it did not appeal to enough members of the queer community 
Hmm. That was their, they, they thought, and because I'm saying this because I want y'all's take on it. And they thought that even though it deals with a lot of different sexualities, that it is primarily catered to, uh, you know, cis white gay guys. Uh, I could see that, I guess. I mean, if you want, like, a, it, like you said, it's few and far between for, like, ethnic scenarios and stuff like that. Um, so, so yes. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I can only speak to, because, you know, I am a, sure, a, sure. a straight white woman and stuff. But, sure. uh, um, yeah, like, I, I, I guess a bit. But I think it's just, like... Scen scenario wise it is very I, in my opinion like very over like it, it covers a lot you know like yeah. and so yeah. yeah but I could see I guess like yeah a little bit of on that fringe of like yeah. playing it role but if you see it from like it's, I guess it just depends on which side you see it from or what you know outlook if it's like yeah. yes technically it is to you know white cis white males and then a white a white woman but in the but overall the whole scenario of of their of their like triangle, I know in my opinion. See, I I put see I put Colin Farrell in the same camp as I do someone like Michael B. Jordan, which is when you've reached a certain level of being so gorgeous, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't matter it doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, where you're from. You should just be put on that pedestal of gorgeousness. <laughs> regardless uh those are two entrants that i will humbly submit to the committee uh, yeah yeah it, that was just always so i i didn't disagree with them either i mean we're talking about a film that is directed by actually i don't even know if michael mayer is gay or straight it feels like it feels like i've always thought he was gay but then i looked it up and he was like totally straight nope i'm wrong he is gay he is queer as a three dollar <laughs> bill so well you got so you do have a gay guy a white gay guy directing a bisexual i mean i let's just be clear there there's very little doubt in my head that colin farrell's bisexual yeah. in in real life i'm just i maybe i'm I, maybe i'm forecasting that on him you're just but, you're just hoping you always leave that <laughs> yeah. door open <laughs> yeah so but it's like so white bisexual guy another white gay guy you know R robin wright who is every gay guy's fantasy crush <laughs> like i don't know it, it, i see where it seems definitely tailored towards a cis gay male gaze mm -hmm. um, it's giving you those little things that you want from a movie like that it's just doing it i think with a little bit more of a deft hand than than some of the other mainstream films like a good example a, a very different movie but i don't know if y'all have seen spoiler alert yet i haven't no i haven't yet um so it's the one that just came out. It's mm -hmm. Jim Parsons. And, you know, mm -hmm. he's it's based on Michael Osiello's book from TV Guide. And it's an interesting sort of counterpoint to this in terms of like seeing how far we've come mm -hmm. in the way we deal with not only like gayness in mainstream film, but also bisexuality, because his character is a bisexual in the film as well. Not Jim Parsons. Duke could never play a bisexual convincingly. Sorry, mm -hmm. Jim. Yeah. But uh, Ben Aldridge. <laughs> Ben Aldridge is the bisexual character. And um, I don't know. It was just interesting. And I thought of this film when I was watching Spoiler Alert because they have some similar themes. There's some illness in there and other things. And it was just like it was so, talking back to what you were kind of speaking about there. It, it almost made me feel like this film was a little bit ahead of its time mm. because it's like the way it's dealing with similar subject matter feels so more advanced it feels so more contemporary than anything Spoiler Alert's doing. Spoiler Alert feels like it could have been written by Neil Simon in 1977. <laughs> I think just things go backwards. So, I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Maybe we learn from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Or no, actually, that would be the opposite. No, yeah, the opposite. We're doomed, exactly. We're doomed to repeat yeah. them. Yeah. I just find myself thinking that a lot these days because I still watch an inordinate amount of queer cinema. And I'll watch something and I'll be like, wait a second. This film did this better back in 1997, and it mm -hmm. and it felt fresher. <laughs> it felt it feels like everything is just getting homogenized down. I think it's and, just and, and, yeah. I think it's just no, something no. that happens with like it's in some instances in all genres. You know, you get these like really awesome tales of like I'm just gonna take from my experience uh Hispanic Mexican kind of movies and telling of a, a Mexican fa family. You know, we had um, real women have curves in the early 2000s, but then you kind of 
go and like have these stupid, just like stereotypical movies of of I, I can't think of anything right now, but they are have in, they have yeah. existed after you know real women have curves which is not a yeah. bad thing we have our jokes and stuff like that but then it's kind of like uh, it, it's just towing the line with like too, way too much like we need to get back into like something like more authentic so now you have like good champion of, of like namor in in wakanda forever and then also like um <laughs> if you're looking for like for for a mexican story definitely there's a hulu show called um this fool which is just like pure perfect being mexican-american in in southern oh. california definitely a perfect story of that but yeah like it i think it's just like something that exists in it it happens in genre in every genre of just kind of like uh you got to uh you know it's a spectrum everything is a spectrum and yeah. it's just like uh you got to to like i don't want to but yeah like to use a uh, Tropic Thunder kind of you, you know you you went full yeah. you full we you went full R word you know kind of <laughs> <Yes>. thing <laughs> so yeah. so it's kind of like I think it just happens sometimes and there while there in every genre while there's like really good touching like emotional stories true true life stories there's also that gimmick or stereotypical kind of story always like on that yeah. side too yeah yeah well I I also feel like I also, I'm also like part of it kind of echoes how I feel like art in in this country at least is closing in on itself. It, it's sort of getting, I hate using the words like conservative, like, but like mm. it is, it is moving more conservative in what I see. And not only just the types of things that are being produced, but like the way they're being presented, the access that's being given to people to see them, the way that that's kind of shrinking. It feels it feels weird to me. And I think that's part of it as well, which makes sense to me with something like spoiler alert, why it would feel like it could have been something that was made 30 or 40 years ago, because it's almost like we're backpedaling to that time in some way. And or at least and this is just me, obviously speaking from my personal feelings, but that's just kind of the way I, I maybe that's the way that it feels to me. And I hope, you know, obviously I don't want that to happen. I want everybody I want us to keep, start because, you know, even like I'm, th I'm thinking about like everybody's talking about 2022. Everybody I talked to one of the best years for film of, of recent, like such a great year for film, And mm -hmm. I don't disagree necessarily. I started thinking back and I was like, OK. What is that one film that I saw this year that I've never seen anything like it before? And there's always been one that I could pinpoint, and I couldn't pinpoint one this year. And and not that there weren't amazing films. It was an amazing year for film. Mm -hmm. But there was not one film where I was like, damn, like that was the one. And um, this is all me just ranting based on the fact that <laughs> I feel like movies aren't queer enough, y'all. <laughs> Movies aren't queer enough. If you're gonna make it a queer movie, goddamn it, make it a queer movie. My, well, dude, wait, wait. Um, I, I have a movie. Have you seen? Did you see Triple R? Did you see RRR? Oh, okay. oh yeah. Okay. All right. Because there's there's some yeah. subtlety there. You can add that. That is the greatest buddy movie <laughs> yeah. ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah made. If you want to toe the line, yeah. like this movie I, oh, I does. Even yeah. Think there's a toe <laughs> of the line. I think. Yeah. I think you could straight up say those guys have been intimate with each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was a really good year for buddy films, I feel like. I'll just, you know, tangent here, but you had RR, you had Banshees of Nishara in a great breakup buddy movie, yep. and then you had yep. um, Ambulance, which is a movie nobody's talking about, <laughs> but a great just movie about bros, you know? I I, I thought it was great, but I, I just kind of wanted to throw in my two cents on, you know, you guys' question about, like, you know, why do you think this, we've maybe taken a step back in certain respects, and I feel like this movie, because it was made for, like, I looked up the budget was six and a half million dollars. It's a smaller, it's an indie film. I think that you are able to kind of slide by and just tell whatever story you want without mm -hmm. getting too many studio notes. Yeah, when, that's, and that's then, why indie films are the best. And the, yes, I mean, indie films are amazing. But, and then when you start to get a bigger studio, bigger budget, you know, obviously Colin Farrell's a big star, but he's still kind of an indie guy. When you get these people coming on board and, you start and you get rewrites and stuff like that from the studios. You end up with something like I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, you know, which started <laughs> as like a um, the original screenplay was a very like touching queer film. And then it became a happy Madison production and it became a gay panic movie. And I think that's it, 
that these like especially at this time period you do get these indies that are allowed to exist and maybe now you know even now like a lot of the the best queer films are are stuff like moonlight that are like independent because the studios are like well we can't play this in in china so we've, we've got to cut out the gay kit we can we can put in some gay stuff but we'll we've got to like make sure that you know we can cut out the dumbledore saying that he's gay so that it can play in china and that that stuff is obviously in, incredibly frustrating and i do think that these films that are able to operate on a smaller budget uh are able to say so much more for that reason and hopefully i think that is starting to change and we are just like you said it's it's molasses in an igloo slow but i do think we are starting to see maybe some bigger budget things letting some of this stuff in starting to see stuff like it's not a movie but like you oh. know the queer romance in andor i thought was really cool the problem is is that the problem is is that you're right it's just they're not making any money mm. and that's the problem is like bros you know there was all that talk about why bros didn't do as well it was supposed to at the end of the day it was just marketed poorly yeah studio did not know what to do with it or how to market it and they fucked it up and then it was like oh well spoiler alert didn't do great either and it's like well what do you expect from a sad two-hour drama about two gay guys and one of them is dying of cancer like that is not a crowd pleaser no matter how much you try to market it as a christmas movie and so I, I feel like all of queer cinema is now getting judged on the backs of two films that are solely non-representative mm -hmm. of the majority of queer community that I am part of and that I know. And and then I think back and I'm like, I don't know that Brokeback Mountain would be made today. Mm -hmm. Not the way that it was. And and yeah, I realize that I'm, you know, I'm name dropping a film that stars two straight dudes and is directed by a straight guy but like okay i'm a queer person i can do it um, <laughs> but like that film for all people want to say about it i think it's regardless of how you feel about its place in history and blah 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 i think it's a gorgeously made film and and very well intentioned from everybody involved but that that film made money and it you know it deals with some kind of like pretty perverse moments of like gay affection and gay sex in that film and i'm like i don't think that would get released today mm -hmm. it, it, because it's it's not it's not spoiler alerty enough like it's not it's not brosy enough mm -hmm. and and i so that's what i say by now in, in fairness you can make the case that brokeback mountain is an indie film to some degree too i mean it's hard to do that when it's heath ledger jake gyllenhaal and hathaway and ang lee but you could still make the case that that's still somewhat of an indie film as well. And maybe this is just maybe this is just a reminder to not a reminder, but, you know, I do often think as a member of the queer community. I want I want to be served by by film and by television and all of these things. I want to be served and I want to be served in an equitable way. But I don't expect everything to be catered to me like I, I understand that I am still an enormous minority of the population. I don't need everything catered to me. And so um, and so I, I don't know. I, I just feel like I feel like we're in an interesting spot with queer cinema. I don't know where it's going to go, frankly. I'm optimistic, but I'm also like, is queer cinema just done on a mainstream scale? I think it's very much like just because like, what I see with the the spoiler and bros coming out, it feels very much like an early two thousands cis, you know, relationship comic movies that are coming out. So yeah, like I think it's just like with everything, just treat it as you would treat a normal story, you know, just treat it as that you know kind yeah. of thing it's like where it lies and that's why this movie you know did like it did that you know it treated it yeah. just like a normal story kind of thing mm -hmm. it's not yeah. like playing into like oh any kind of situation or like that like very much i'm feeling like that and it, you know it's unfortunately with pop culture and like stereotypes and stuff like that like it's very much feels like the 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 best the gay best friend kind of movies kind of thing and so yeah i feel very much like it, it movies just need to like treat it as a, just another movie just another script just another everyday life kind yeah. of thing yeah i i agree i and i agree and i think that, and i think that's a good point and, and i agree and i i'm probably a little too harsh 
And I know I'm too harsh on films like Bros and Spoiler Alert because, I mean, they are for the most part catered to me. And um, and and I think it's just because also just from having programmed queer films for so long, I've seen so many of those stories that when I see another one that has all of that money and talent behind it, I'm like, oh, but you could have done better. Yeah, I you could have done better. I would make the I would make the the argument that that same things happening to like normal. I mean, like I'm like cis. Um, yeah, like romantics as, as well. Like this year, last year had that marry me movie fair, yeah. and like think, all these yeah. other ones yeah mid-budget movies are having a rough time like yeah. you're, you're still getting your indies yeah. and you're still getting the big budget ones but where these movies would exist mid-budget like 40 to yeah. 100 million dollar 80 million dollars whatever mm-hmm. are, are starting to kind of yeah. vanish other than on streaming you know mm-hmm. and it's something yeah. i've brought I, on the show before but i think I, that it really fits with these kind of films that we're talking about here. I think the problem overall just is like that big budget movies need to stop making these dumb romantic comedies kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I like, mean that is part. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. me feel actually a little bit better because you yeah. are right. Like mm-hmm. I mean, that is a part of it too. Because Bros and Spoiler Alert, I'm sure were both made and they're mid budget films to, mm-hmm. to a large degree. And I mean, even the definition of mid budget has changed. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. But it's like, yeah, it, it's 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 crazy. I'm just I'm just interested to see where it goes because I honestly don't know. I I, I thought for a while I had it. I was I was going to figure it out, and I'm like, I'm just never going to figure it out. Like I feel like, you know, just look at where we are as a country. That's a mm-hmm. good litmus test on where we are <laughs> in terms of film, in terms of representing any person or mm-hmm. any group. Well, one thing that I was thinking about is that I think what where we really need to go to like make progress and it a film that I just saw that really kind of amazed me to like on on this level of how amazing and diverse it was was Wendell and Wild, which is Henry Selleck's uh, new film, his first film since two thousand and nine. And Henry Selleck is a he's a straight cis uh, white dude, and he is somebody who has a He's been an outsider in the industry, but he's somebody who has the power to make a movie. And when he got his chance to make this movie this year, every single character in that, none of them is just a... They're, they're all either they're queer or they're a a racial minority or they're they're women or uh, the one white guy, I think, is... he is He's uh, not able-bodied. So it's just it was just such an interesting diverse cast and then obviously was co-written by key and peel and i think that's what we need more of is just just be like here's a story with just diverse characters just diverse people and it doesn't ever like really like shine a light on anything it's never like oh this is happening like this is happening it's just these are just people that just exist and to and for him to be just this creator who was like bringing in key and peel and these people with other backgrounds and experiences and visions than him and to just like i I, it was kind of a amazing thing to watch to see just all of this diversity in this movie that like was just like about like demons and spookiness you know it's a it's a very henry self movie it's very much like oh there's like this other world and there's spooky things going on but it was just like yeah there was all of these just diverse walks of life of everyone you can imagine and and i know that's animated and it was just a straight to netflix thing but I, I really do think that is the way of the future is just being inserting pe- just everyone queer people into films and just honestly having it kind of not be a huge deal. And that's kind of something that I really liked about this and I thought was ahead of its time was while there is sad stuff in this movie that like there is like they do touch on the AIDS thing. Nothing in this movie is like them having to deal with not being accepted for who they are. It's about them figuring themselves out. But like, and there is like maybe a moment where like, he's just like, oh, I should leave because Sissy Spacek. But people like everyone just, they all accept each other. You don't see like hate crimes or anything going on. It just feels like a movie where just these people figuring themselves out and not having to deal with like, they don't make it. It's not like Philadelphia or something where it's like, okay, let's just make a movie about bigotry. Um, yeah. Which is obviously important. Like those stories do need to be told, but it doesn't need to be every story. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah, I, I agree. And 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 those are my favorite types of of films in general. Like are the ones that don't like draw attention to themselves mm-hmm. in a way that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Like where they're not, where every character isn't walking on screen going, "I am a homosexual." Yep. 
and where every, you know, every contrivance isn't based around that. And this film does do it, I think, do a good job of that. And those the films that do are generally going to be the ones that I respond to the most, the ones where and, and a good example of that. I always try to give them credit for it. But the Farrelly brothers in all of their early films, they were so good at highlighting disabled characters. Mm-hmm. And but they would do it in ways that were that were they were always in on the joke. They were not the butt of it. They were always just regular characters like one might show up as a gas station attendant or or, you know, at a restaurant. And like it was never called attention to anything that was wrong with them. They were just playing a character in the film. Mm-hmm. And like they did that in a way that I haven't seen a lot of people do, which is which is a really ironic considering one of them has a new movie coming out called The Champions, which is entirely about the fact that they are differently abled <laughs> because it's Woody Harrelson coaching a, a team of different. Oh, abled. that yeah. movie. OK, yeah. But because it's them or one half of them, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to give it a shot. I think if anybody can pull it off, they can. But all that all that is to say is that, yeah, that authenticity, I think the older I get, the more and more I respond to. I'm less I'm less pop and flash and more substance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. it comes down to the notion of like something could be a part of your of their pers- of the character's personality, but it shouldn't be their personality. You know, yeah. I think it, like a yeah. Per- yeah, every that's just good writing, good character writing is yeah. like a character is multifaceted. You know, they're well, yeah, not and- just one thing kind of thing. So yeah, but if you if anybody walked up to me in the street and they were asked like, how do you identify? And this is something that we do. You know, we do a lot in, in with my day job when we're when I'm running an event or something like that. And, I'm you know, for accessibility reasons and everything, you know, you go through, you talk about who you are, you talk about how you identify, you describe yourself, all those fun things. And so, like, I would describe myself as a a lot of things before I would say a gay man mm-hmm. like that's in there. It's certainly part of the mix. It's it's definitely that. But it wouldn't even be in the top three things, I would say. And so I think that's a lot of people. I think I think I think we have because, you know, because so many people are having to battle to be accepted, you know, the way they want to be accepted uh, because they're having to battle for that. I think I don't know. I, I feel like we take for granted sometimes. I don't want to get I don't want to get on a preachy seminar because we're talking about a movie that isn't a preachy seminar yeah, at exactly. all. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful little love story. Mm-hmm. It's a cute, beautiful little love story that introduced me to Yaz. yeah yeah no no well put well put uh and well also yeah i also will just say too we have not mentioned the name matt frewer yet but for all of your max headroom fans out there matt frewer himself is in this film oh yeah yeah i know i knew i know him as the dad the uh, the neighborhood yep yep that's how (laughs) i know him yeah that's it yeah people either know him these days it's either honey i shrunk the kids it's uh, it's Max Hedrick, yeah. or it's the Dawn of the Dead remake. The, mm-hmm. I'm the one weirdo who knows him from Eureka. Eureka oh, that's too, a good one. yeah, Eureka yeah. too. He wasn't one. in Eureka as much though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, I did oh. watch the hell out of that show back in the I day. Know. <laughs> I know. We could go in. I be, this is something I've been wanting to like do because I, I, you know, I've been wanting to do that TED Talk series. But I, one of the topics I want to do is just how amazing early 2000s sci-fi channel was i just i, I definitely want to <laughs> well, do that <laughs> well let me let me plant this bug in your ear um because you know i i host a show called the incinerator uh-huh. where guests come on and they incinerate ridiculous topics and this season we've opened that up so it's not just films anymore we've got folks coming on to do television series we've got folks who are coming on to do deaths in a franchise yeah like we're opening up to all sorts of things. So if y'all ever wanted to come on and do some sort of weird sci-fi, 90s sci-fi. No, oh, I, don't, don't tell, I can I'll, I'll come on no, in a heartbeat, Billy Ray. No, I, like, I, I will talk about, yeah, the early 2000 sci-fis. You got the the really good adaptation of 4400. You had um, or Eureka. You had w- Warehouse 13. You had, um, oh my gosh, so many, so many like really good sci Oh, oh, Haven. Haven too. I was just thinking about Haven as as well. There's just so what's much. the one? What's the one that I remember that Eddie Cibrian was in? He was the lead in, and it was about. I feel like it was from the guys who did Lost. 
that's zone uh, two. I mean, I would know it if oh. it was from if it was from the guys who did. Wait, was Carlton or or Damon? Because invasion. It was called invasion. invasion? Okay. I think yeah, I don't know was if that it. was in. It, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't either of the guys who had lost. But I know what show you're talking about because I'm the. Yeah. I'm the I don't know the, if the that was like sci-fi. I know Battlestar Galactica was part of that too. I think it was on Sci-Fi. Ran on Sci-Fi as well. Yeah, the the early 2000s Sci-Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. I I could definitely go and, and yeah, have back a back when it was still SCI. Sliders. It was in between that. It was in between the two. It started that that era started off as as Sci S. S-C-I-F-I, but then it, in the middle of it, it, it turned into F- S-Y-F-Y. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I automatically know that we're going to do something to do with the sci-fi channel. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, that's definitely going to happen. All right, uh, excellent, excellent. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I still have, I bought those DVDs when they came out, man. I loved what, I loved early 2000s sci-fi, Eureka, and like, yeah, like I said, Warehouse Did you 13. watch? Did you watch the non-sci-fi stuff like Sliders? I n- Sliders was like a little bit earlier in that for my time. I think I think Sliders okay. was like l- like early like mid nineties or late nineties. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I know of Sliders. Yeah, I, I, I know think, it like, wasn't. I was gonna say I know it wasn't Sci-Fi Channel, but you know what my like favorite that per- time period weird sci-fi show was and Billy Ray I don't know I feel like you might this might have been a Billy Ray show did you ever watch Kyle XY Kyle XY oh, yes yes, yes. <laughs> like, speaking of a I hot was man with Matt yeah yeah exactly exactly okay perfect, yeah. perfect. oh my gosh Kyle yeah. oh, I yeah. had such good like uh like oh. lore like it was the hottest uh, thing in the world is is fucking Matt Dallas without a belly button. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that's the hottest thing in the world. Yeah, I was. I've I've always been into. I've always had that one like teen sci fi horror show that I always watch. Like Riverdale has been mm. that show for. Oh, uh, dude. Oh yeah. I just binged <laughs> all of Wednesday, I, I, so I, I get a, you, my dude. No, Wednesday's mainstream. Uh, Riverdale and Teen is, Wolf. Uh, I was yeah, a huge Teen Wolf. Teen Wolf guy. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm. Oh, oh, I'm massive Teen Wolf fan, and the movie drops on my birthday. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I know. I'm just so sad that Styles, my boy, my boy, my love, like is well, not so, on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, earlier today, you would have seen my Dylan O'Brien T-shirt that I have. <laughs> I have, I have and, his uh, jersey shirt. I have a jersey. You know how many podcasts I have been on just to proselytize Dylan O'Brien. <laughs> oh my gosh, Dylan O'Brien. I, 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 I'm, I'm happy that he's like getting some like. He still is working and stuff like that, but I'm like, he really needs something good. He really does. Like, I mean, like, I know that it was that lying kind of movie. He got some pretty good buzz around. Oh, but which one? The uh... the one that came out last year. But I mean, I just oh, love oh, Dylan O'Brien. Uh, uh, oh, oh no, he's Dylan O'Brien. I was I was looking through my drawer where my Dylan O'Brien phone case is. Oh yeah, and uh, no, no, yeah, big Dylan O'Brien fan. Uh. And uh, very excited. It's got a horror film coming out this year. Yeah. And then also got. Yeah. I'm also part of me is like, are they going to. I think they're going to sneak like, him in. I think they're going to sneak him in. I feel like they're going to sneak gonna him, him in. Too. He's going like, to come in I'm as like, the sure FBI like, agent. He's already like a full blown FBI agent. Like, I'm yeah. sure like him and Lydia have been like, like, just like having a relationship off screen. You know, he can't he can't leave his banshee, you know, kind of thing. Because I, I also can't believe. I don't know. I just can't believe that he can't. He can't. They couldn't make yeah. something happen. Yeah. Like, if they made, like if they got Tyler Hecklin in, he's freaking going on and doing Superman. Awesome job as Superman, by the way. If yeah. you want to check out a hot man in in tights, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like um, if they got him back, I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm sure Dylan kind of snuck is going to sneak in there. You know, they got to keep, they got to make it. You know, run for their money. Nowadays, you you live and die with the with the secret like reveal of a of a like special guest. Yeah, well, I think they're just saving it. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I I, I hope, hope they are. I'm hoping I mean, to. I mean, look, I'll be I'll be fine. I'll watch it regardless. <laughs> yeah, me too. But I mean, I hope it does well enough where they'll maybe keep doing these yeah. every couple of yeah, years. Yeah, like just how to see what's going on. Yeah, just kind of like how Psych does their like movies every once once in once in a yeah. while. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Um, oh, glad we got to. Yeah, geek I'm out glad over we Teen got Wolf. to geek out of Teen Wolf. Man, I don't get to geek out over Teen Wolf uh-huh. with very many people. No, me neither. Talk about, 
One of the greatest assortment of hot guys in a TV show ever. <laughs> it's a really oh, awesome adaptation God. of its source material as well. Like it, it's like yes, yeah. it's a teenage, it's a teen show, but it does get deep and it does it has really good mythical lore. Like yeah, really good it, mythical lore. They do a good job. Like the violence level. Oh is yeah, a good level. perfect. Like, like it's, it's there's it's, there's it's, there's like um there's like consequences and stakes. You know, you got yeah. people dying and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a oh, so good show. <laughs> so good show. So, good show. show. so we went from a home at the end of the world <laughs> to Teen Wolf. Yeah, yeah. serious. Yeah. Very uh, yeah. natural. Pro- natural progression. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, that's how podcasts go. You know, like one one minute you're you're talking about you know uh, queerness in cinema, and then you're, you're talking about you know uh, uh, the the Teen Wolf show and uh, the voice well, of Bumblebee. Teen Wolf is Teen Wolf. That's true. That's true. It's a pretty it short jump. It's a pretty short jump. Yeah, yeah. Col- Teen Wolf yeah. is a very queer show. Yeah, Colton Hayes and and I mean oh, Jackson. God. Yeah, that whole yeah. that whole reveal in the last that that last like I think it was like the last two episodes. That was a really cool moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, you know, not to not to kick out Dylan O'Brien here, but uh, any uh, any final thoughts? No, no, you I, never, never kick would. out Dylan O'Brien. Would. He'll kick I, back. No, right. <laughs> Bumblebee. He's Bumblebee. I wouldn't mess with him. Uh, but uh, and any any other thoughts you you had before we kind of wrap up here on um, Home at the End of the World? Um, wow. Um, I would just encourage folks to find it. I mean, it's not the easiest film to find, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think I still only have a DVD copy of it. I don't even know if it's been released on Blu-ray or not. Um, but however you can check it out, I would encourage you to do so. I think, I think you'll be like, oh, I can't believe I've never seen this film. With Colin Farrell being hotter than Colin Farrell has ever been. Yeah. Well, that that's the point of this show, you know, is this is we're all about underrated movies and bringing things to people that they haven't might not have seen before. And so this is this was absolutely a perfect pick, Billy Ray. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to see Colin Farrell with like a Rosie O'Donnell 1980s haircut, <laughs> like tossing tossing dough this in the air. True. Yeah. This is going to be your wet dream. <laughs> I uh, I want to go to the home cafe. I would definitely right? I would go there. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That that's gotta be up there with like some of the greatest uh move, restaurants for movies, you know? <laughs> yeah, I I would I would definitely enjoy the home cafe. Yeah. <laughs> well, well while I, I got you here, Billy Ray, what what are some like other other good like you know hidden gems like like this? Some other oh. great queer cinema that people should I'm putting you on the spot here, but Oh, um so queer cinema. So that's that's a that's at least you narrowed it down some. Um I would recommend, I mean, in in the similar vein to this, there's a really great film from 1998, I think, called Edge of 17, which is, uh, it was one of my staples when I was younger, kind of coming up as a queer person. Also a period film, 80s, great soundtrack, very poppy. So Um, I don't know, so there, just because there is another movie that called The Edge of 17. Yeah, it's not the Haley Steinfeld one. Uh, it, this is yeah this this has got uh leah delaria in it uh really really fun movie um i always like to mention crazy felt c dot r dot a dot z dot y dot which was kind of the first big film for jean-marc valet the great jean-marc valet who's now no longer with us but who did wild and dallas buyers club that was his kind of quebecois debut and it's basically about a young gay kid sort of coming of age over the course of several Christmas Eves. Oh, and, uh, I, I love a good, I love that, that trope of like, it's, it's every, every Christmas, you know, like we just talked about, it was just two Christmases, but we talked about for our Christmas episode, the green Knight. I love that storytelling oh, yeah. device. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. It works really well. Crazy. That's, that's one of the films that anytime I turn someone onto it, it like instantly becomes their favorite film. That and is. so, and then the other one I'll mention is, uh, even though it's really not like, I mean, I don't know, maybe it is a little bit. Uh, Robin Wright just reminds me of it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. I'll just, I'll just put that out there too. Cause it's a uh, Robin Wright's character in this reminds me of those band, the, the girls in the band in that Laura Dern and, and oh mm. God, what's it, Diane Lane. And uh, also just a great fucking film. If you've never seen it, if you want to see a young uh, Ray Winstone, which is a weird thing to see. <laughs> um, yeah, those are a few that I would mention that I would recommend. I've got tons. Mm-hmm. I would say if you if you want 
really obscure references, just check out my letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, perfect. Ariel, before before we wrap up, any any last thoughts you wanted to say on the movie here? Oh, I very much enjoyed it. I think I like I said earlier, I think that this is like the way that that this kind of story works where it just feels like a real like everyday life story, you know, it's just something it's just something happening to somebody and not, they're not categorized in any way and I think that's that's just the best storytelling and that's why this movie is is such like a kind of hidden gem because it's just a pure story, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh Th- thank you so much for being on Billy Ray. Um, we, we mentioned at the beginning you do a lot of things, so the floor is yours. Please tell everybody oh. where they because I, I had a great time listening to you. I'm sure all, our audience did. So tell tell them where they can thank hear you. more of you. Well, uh, I do host the Incinerator Podcast. You can find that wherever you find podcasts. Go to incineratorpod.com. We're getting ready to start season two on March 9th. So uh, join us for that. Uh, I also run Make Believe Film Festival here in Seattle, which is a genre film festival, horror, fantasy, sci-fi, all the all the best stuff. Uh, it's going to be March 23rd through the 26th here in Seattle. So four days of amazing films and guests and panels and all sorts of stuff. Scripts Gone Wild is the event series that I host in L.A. once a quarter. We're getting ready to do The Goonies in April. Uh, we're getting our cast ready for that, so that should be a lot of fun. And then finally, I think the last thing to promote is... Oh, wait, no, I'm done. I think that's all that matters right now. I think I can stop there. All right, all right, excellent. Yes, definitely everyone go and, and check all that stuff out. And and after you do that, if you guys want to hear some more from us, we do a couple other podcasts here with the Undercast Company. Uh, me, Ariel, and then uh, our other member, Alan, uh, we do some other stuff. Ariel does her other podcast, You've Never Seen, where she introduces someone to a movie or they introduce her to a movie that they really should have seen by this point. I have a lot of fun talking about that. Uh, whenever there's a new Marvel property uh i get on uh, my soapbox to talk about it on infinity stones and dragon bones that sporadic podcast and then uh if you guys are still not tired of us you want to hear more of us we also have our patreon this is, you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month by the time this episode drops we'll have just released or we'll have released a little bit ago our top 10 films of 2022 so we're gonna all three of us be listing our me alan and ariel our top 10 films of 2022 excited to record that and see how it goes uh, so if you guys want to listen to that just a buck um or the patreon um there's a few different tiers but that lowest tier gets you the podcast and that is just patreon.com slash undercast company and we'd love to have you we've got our discord our instagram all that stuff just look up undercast company uh we're all over the place um so thank you everyone listening uh thank you ariel and thank you again billy ray it's been amazing everyone